0: Welcome to the Paul series podcast, where we dive deeper into the content from Sunday's message. Welcome to the Northridge podcast, where we dive deeper into the content from Sunday's message.
1: Help us all, Lord. Here we go again. Have we started yet? I think I think Connor is recording. Unfortunately,
0: for your sake. Are you recording? Oh great. Okay. Well, welcome to the <laughs> really strong, really strong start. Uh, we're in week five of the series. Ball. Thanks, guys, for tuning in and uh, hearing what else we want to discuss from the message. Kind of getting a little more perspective from Drew and maybe a little bit of personality, a little behind the scenes, all that kind of stuff. So, first question, Drew. Diving right in. You talked on Sunday about how, wait, no, pause, nope, Halloween, what do you guys do? I'm just going to put you right in the spot in front of all these people you're going to have to answer. What do you do with the devil's holiday?
1: Well, first of all, I celebrate it by eating <laughs> lots and lots of candy. Okay. Um, so I gain exactly five pounds the devil is what I you do. Exactly what do. <laughs> um, no, we, I mean, we have a party, we dress up, we take mm-hmm. the kids out and we knock on doors and... We take in candy, and it's great because we only allow our kids to have one piece of that candy every single night, so it's mm. a big deal to them. They're excited, but mm-hmm. I eat like three pieces a night, so I'm a kind of a hypocrite. Lord yeah. forgive me.
0: And I know this year was bad because of all the rain on Halloween, so nobody, there's probably not nearly as much candy for you this yeah, year.
1: Yeah, yeah, you know the weather was
0: not the greatest, so... But it kind of cuts both ways because if the weather's bad, then all the candy that you had at your house to give out to other people, you didn't get to give out, so right back into you.
1: Right, but we, we kind of live in an area where no one's gonna come to our house for uh, for like we don't live in a neighborhood. So oh, you're more know, no like the selfish Halloween kind of person. We're the house or that like, you look at like why is all their lights off? These people <laughs> don't believe in this holiday. <laughs> well um, that's because well, it's if, if you're a parent you're like kids don't go to that house. <laughs> <laughs> that's our house. Oh so. man okay
0: Woo. this is this has this has gone so far. Speaking of contextualizing in in our culture Okay. You talked on Sunday about how Paul's proximity produced passion. He was in the city of Athens. He saw their, um, their deep need for God and he allowed that to drive him to, uh, you know, have a heart for them to come to know God. So, um, how do you do that? How, what do you do to have proximity and let that produce passion?
1: When it comes to proximity, I think uh, one of the biggest areas that I struggle and many Christians struggle with is that that idea of proximity. I think a lot of us as Christians, we create a bubble um, mm. and I live in that bubble. I mean, I work at a church, so I'm surrounded by people who are trying to fulfill the mission God has given us. Right. You know, and, and you live in the creepy house that nobody wants to go to. E- exactly. <laughs> and so we create this bubble, like our community group, we're surrounded by Christians. I'm surrounded by Christians. And so I think we have to intentionally live to produce that proximity. And it's hard, it's difficult. In my life, it's really hard. And so I've made some intentional choices on things I do, hobbies I'm involved in, so I can surround myself with lost people, create that proximity. And one way I do that is I play in a flag football league and I love it, I love sports. So it's a passion I have, it's something I love, but it surrounds me with a bunch of lost guys. Mm. Um, I mean, this league, is, is it's so much fun for me and it's so refreshing because, you know, I'm hearing F bombs left and right. I'm you that know that doesn't hearing... happen like a ton in the office. No, I mean there's a couple times, you know, it gets heated, but <laughs> Yeah, as it's that's just, a joke, as it's a joke, don't please. It don't is fire. is his joke, you know. We wouldn't ever use the F bomb, maybe some other words, right? No, I'm just kidding. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh
0: my goodness, I love this right now. Um oh. but
1: you know I, I it's so refreshing to be around lost guys. And, you know, I I bond with them. And so I've just made some strategic choice. I play basketball every Tuesday and Friday morning when I can. Again, I'm surrounded by guys who who don't know the Lord. And I play football on Saturdays that, that surround me with people. And and what's amazing is, man, when you actually make that intentional choice to surround yourself with people who are far from God, it it has fired me up and produced this passion to to see them know the Lord, man, Hmm. to know like there is hope. Because I see the things they struggle with. I see the things that they're going through. And it's the same things I deal with, but I have the hope of Jesus and it really fires me up. And I long for those guys to see and know the Lord. So for you, it's about creating the proximity and the passion
0: comes naturally. Yeah. But you have to go out of your way to get proximity.
1: Yes. I'm naturally an evangelist. So I, I have that passion, but what's hard is having that passion and the proximity for a lot of people is hard. Like getting around people who are far from God Mm -hmm. is not the easiest thing to do. And so I think Christians today have to learn to be intentional. You know, what what do you do for your hobbies? Invite someone who doesn't know God. And you know, that's what I've learned to do is just be intentional in in that arena. I think for a lot of us, you know, I work at a church, so it makes it a little bit harder. But for many of us, we have proximity just at our workplace. Mm. You're surrounded by people who don't know the Lord and they're right in front of you and taking the time to acknowledge that and build those relationships. I think for some of us who have lost our passion to, you know, share the gospel, if we build relationships with lost people, I think that passion might actually come back. So for some of you, the proximity is right there already in the place you work, the place you spend majority of your time every week, right there it is. We got to take the time to to use it and get to know it and build relationships with it.
0: Yeah, it's definitely for me, my neighborhood where... I have proximity, physical proximity, literally our homes are close by each other and I need to allow that to be something that builds a relationship that produces passion. Yeah. Like like you said, of course, I don't have that proximity at work, but I do have that proximity at home. And sometimes I can be like, well, this is my, this is a place where I recharge and yeah, I can get out, I can like be like a hermit and I just close my doors and turn off my lights and <laughs> try to avoid eye contact as you're walking to right. the mailbox. But that's, I need to not do that. I need to- When you were away. telling me,
1: you know, about your neighbor and how you just yeah. got to know your neighbor mm-hmm. and how, again, that stirred a little bit of passion in your heart to love him and care for him.
0: Yeah, I have a neighbor who's going through a really hard thing and I knew a little bit about it, but he just expressed like in no uncertain terms, a deep sense of loneliness, just like right there on my front lawn while Mm. I'm trying to chill and take in some October sun. And I was like, wow, I'm over here. Like wondering when I'm gonna cut my lawn, and here's a guy in deep loneliness and need of help. So I just, just need was probably pro- wondering when you were gonna cut your lawn too. <laughs> he actually, he was like, "Come on, he's, Joker, he's get like, to work any, out there, bro. My loneliness will continue if you continue to have a terrible <laughs> lawn." No, so yeah, I just needed to. Do it. I need to see my neighbors as people that God's put in my life. That's good. So a small tension I felt, Drew, as you were speaking on Sunday, was you talked at the very end about the fact that Paul says God is the one who gives the growth. So even though we're investing in other people. God is the one who does the growing. So we just need to leave it in his hands. That kind of flew in my mind. It flew in the face of everything you had just kind of said at some level, because you had spent the time telling us, we need to be really intentional about how we tell people about Jesus, we don't want to be on the megaphone, you know, screaming, but then God is ultimately the one who's in control. So if God's in control, why can't I just do whatever I want? And like, well, see, I, you know, I threw the message out there and it's up to God now.
1: Yeah, I think that's a crutch a lot of people use. Like, I'll just use the sovereignty of God to as an excuse not to do what God has actually commanded me to do. And mm-hmm. I think the simple answer to this question is you do it because God's told you to. If you truly believe in God and you want to follow God, you do what he commands. And so, you know, James says that's the evidence of your faith in God is you do what he says. And so God has made it clear all throughout scripture, like, hey, go make disciples, go tell people about Jesus. We're his ambassadors. And so We do that just simply out of obedience, first and foremost. But I also think, like, you look at Paul's life. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. So you look at Jesus. Guess what he did? He came to be the example. Paul follows him. And why would God give us a guy like Paul who strategize this way, who contextualize as an example of how we should share the gospel and not want us to, to follow that example? And I think many people just use this whole theological realm of like oh god knows what's going to happen as this excuse like i don't need to do anything and honestly it comes back to you know what you talked about last week laziness we use it, we use it to be lazy to not be uncomfortable to not put ourselves out there whether we're we're afraid of rejection or whatever it is as we lean on this crutch though so like god's in charge he knows who's going to be saved so what's the point in all this? And it's simply a matter of obedience. Really, it's a matter of, man, I love God and God's told me to do this. And Paul has set that example for me. And so I should follow in that.
0: Okay. I hear you. Like, I get that you're saying Jesus told us to make disciples. Fair. Paul made disciples. We should follow his example. Fair. Um God, but God's in control. Okay, so if, I, if, if I'm if i supposed to make disciples and God's in control, to me, I'm saying I'm not being lazy. I just want to be a person on the street corner with a megaphone. Like, I just want to go on social media and blast everybody with the truth of the gospel because I'm actually, hey, I'm out here making disciples. Like, I'm not being lazy. What if every day I went to the street corner and just screamed about Jesus I'm doing what I was told. I'm being unashamed of the gospel. I will not apologize for the truth. Like I'm going to, even if it means that I'm rejected like Paul was and I get kicked out of every city I live in, like I will unashamedly, boldly tell the truth of the gospel. And if they don't like it, well, that's fine. God's the one who gives the increase. You know what I mean? Like that's yeah. kind of like the pushback is we're not commanded. You know, where where's the verse that says I have to contextualize?
1: Yeah, I, I don't think there is a verse that says you should contextualize. I think throughout the Bible and Paul's example, he gives us reasons for contextualizing. You know, it's interesting. We we often judge the guy in the street corner with the megaphone, but sometimes I'm convicted by him mm. because he's more passionate about telling people about Jesus than I am. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't think he goes about it the right way, but at least he's living in obedience. You know, I think of Jehovah Witnesses, man, they walk from door to door, knocking on people's doors to... Tell them what they believe. And although I don't like their approach, although I think they're missing some essential truths, I'm convicted by their passion. I really am. And, you know, hey, sometimes it's, you know, I would say, hey, failure is silence. And so for the guy in the street corner, I'm going to commend him for his boldness and his courageousness. I'd love to have a conversation and say, hey, I think if you adjusted some things, you'd be more successful but good for you for being out there and, and, and telling the truth. You know what I mean? And I, you're right. There is no verse that says thou shall contextualize. I do think it's the best way. And I think God gave us example after example of that through his son, Jesus and through Paul. And so I think it's the best way, but we are commanded to tell people about the gospel. And I can't control the way everybody does that, but I can motivate people to do that. And although I'm, I'm challenged by this guy's passion I'm also questioning his approach because. In today's society, 2019, no one communicates that way. No mm-hmm. one's standing on a street corner trying to sell a product, like, you need this product, come get it. Like, this is not the way our society works. And so Or it's or it's perceived as super hokey. It's like the person like doing that
0: spinning thing of like, we buy gold, and there's like a person <laughs> dancing outside. You're like, What is uh I mean like, it's, it's a good laugh, but like what? wow, yeah, seriously, bro? The, nobody has your latest digest of very important information did not come to you via a screaming person on the corner.
1: <laughs> I at least I hope it didn't. And maybe one day, it it did work. Like, I'm sure there were times in our culture where that method was the right approach. Extra, extra, read all about it. (laughs) Exactly. But this is the great thing about Paul is, you know, you read 1 Corinthians 9, he's like, hey, to the Jews, I became like a Jew. He Mm -hmm. knew his culture. And we have to do the same in 2019. What's the method that people receive information? Today, it's video, it's podcast. It's not somebody on the corner or someone knocking on your door. Someone knocks on my door, I'm like... What the heck do you want? (laughs) I don't want to buy a vacuum. Kids, get down. Get down. Turn off the lights. (laughs) Leave me alone. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And
0: so. Door-to-door sales used to be super effective. Yeah. People did that all the time, and so Christianity. My mom bought a, an Electrolux vacuum from a door-to-door salesman. I mean, they were the best vacuums <laughs> oh, ever. My like it, seriously, if someone tries to sell you something at the door, it's like maybe it's the cute neighborhood kid, and they're selling like you know Girl Scout cookies. Or that something. is the
1: only thing that That's works an exception. today. That I very much if works. If you sell Girl Scout cookies, I I Home can't. To my I door. cannot here's say my no. Address. I'm like here, here's my credit card. How many? I'll buy 24 boxes. What do I have to do to get all my wife of? You? Yells at me every year because I'm like, babe, she was so cute. <laughs> or a lemonade stand at a me. yard sale. Please don't with tell kid. me you like the Thin Mints, by the way. Oh, I do. There's some frozen in in the fridge right now. Just oh no no, no 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 no. Babe, I don't about eat those butter by the way. <laughs> I, I I haven't eaten them lately.
0: But yeah, door to door sales used to work, and door to door evangelism worked for Christianity. We did that for a long time. Yep. And I just think I hope that Christians are the kind of people who are quick adopters of yep. any cultural method and quick abandoners of yes. any cultural method that stops being effective. So Paul's example was he contextualized. He obviously trusted in God and said God is the one who gives the increase. But if you look at his example in life, he was not just like randomly scattering messages. Every person that we get a chance to hear him talk to them, he talked to them differently.
1: And what's crazy about that is it it, it folds two ways, personal, personally and organizationally. You know, I think of our church and how we have become adopters of culture. And what's interesting is some of that, you know, our, our adopting of what our culture believes has made Christians mad. So I think of like our church and how, yeah, how, we, how does Northridge how we have contextualized. Like, you know, I think of the music we play, you know, and and the, the volume of that music. So mm. we play we try to play modern style music, electric guitar, loud drums, you know, we try to crank the volume to a certain level where it's acceptable for everybody's ears. And we we do that because that is the way our culture is is headed that's the, the 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 style of music that people listen to and other things we do is we use a lot of video and technology you know we've got lights we've got screens we shoot on site videos because that's the that's the the way our culture speaks is We're through. literally recording a podcast right now. <laughs> exactly. I mean these are some of the things that we do. The version of the Bible we use Mm. you know, we don't use the King James version because it's very hard to read. No one speaks that way. Like Mm -hmm. thouest and the yeest and whatever. (laughs) let the
0: record show there is no (laughs) yeest in the King James.
1: Okay. Fair enough. There could be. I believe there might be. So there is a spake in there. There's (laughs) a spake. Yes. Jesus did spake unto them saying. Exactly. So, um, you know, we use a, a version that is so still scripturally accurate, but right. speaks the language that we have. Exactly. And that's how... The King James is a great translation. It's it is. just
0: was done in 1611. It's, it's been a minute.
1: <laughs> it has. And no one talks that way. Right. And it makes it harder for people to understand. And right. so we have tried to change organizationally to, to, to remove some of those barriers and to reach people.
0: Just on that Bible translation note, I think this is an easy thing to miss. The King James was translated while Shakespeare is writing. You know what I mean? So like we think, oh, that's the way the Bible ought to sound. Well, the Bible sounded the way that literature sounded when they were being super contextualized. They were writing like the authors of their day. And so sometimes I think we look back on methods that people have used in the past and think that's the right way Mm. when that's just because we weren't there. They were using exactly what like, quote, the cool kids were doing. And we just look back on it and it seems like formal and cool and impressive and important when like, no, it's just, that's what everybody was doing. And so I hope someday people look back at us at like, oh, our methods were so cool. No, we were just doing what other people were doing. <laughs> like someday, well, actually, I hope they don't continue to do what we were doing just because we were doing it. Right. They, I hope that next generation see, oh, they were doing a podcast. That's because like people were using that, but nobody listens to podcasts now. Right. You know What, what is I mean? a podcast? Exactly. You know? <laughs> yeah, I, w- whether it's, Haircuts or styles of clothing, or right. whatever it is, people look back at old styles and think, Oh, they were doing a thing. No, they're just doing what everybody was doing
1: exactly the way we dress. I mean, I think we wear jeans to church. I preach in jeans and like a button down. Man, back in the day, I wore a suit and dress, a tie like it was important to do that. And as culture shifts, we we shift with that culture mm-hmm. to help them understand the truth.
0: And honestly. I think you would say some of the things Northridge does to contextualize are not the things that make us most popular among Christians. No doubt. Yeah. Um, but I think we have to recognize that some of the things are things we're not doing for Christians. We're doing it to contextualize to our culture. Yep. And so, yeah, that that's true at an organizational level, but what about personally? How do you personally contextualize the message of the gospel um, to the people around you?
1: Yeah, I, I think when it comes to personally, I you know, I think I have to understand my purpose. And I think even with the the struggles people have with the church, what we do and what people do personally is I think if we understood the why behind contextualization, it would, it would kind of smooth some of those preferences. Absolutely. You know, like, hey, my heart is so people would understand the gospel. Paul's heart was that he might save some. And so mm-hmm. when we understand that purpose, contextualization becomes almost meaningless to us in the sense of like, we don't struggle with it anymore because... They're just trying to reach people for Jesus. Like that is the heart behind it. And the ways I do that is I think about, again, the the proximity to my football team. And so I try to have the guys over. By the way, we've won two championships in a row. I'm just shout out to the team, like two Super Bowls in a row. Okay, okay. Nate Wegman, you hear
0: that? We are champions. Please don't say Super Bowl and act like it's the
1: actual Super Bowl come on. I, I mean, that's right. Cause the Cowboys will be in the Super Bowl. So, um, but how do I contextualize? So like one thing I do at the end of a year with my football guys is I invite them over to my house and mm-hmm. we have a party. I order pizza and wings because one, I want to break the conception of like, they call me the rev on the team. They know who I am. They know mm-hmm. I'm a pastor. I want to break the conception of like, wow, this pastor is a weirdo, like cult mm-hmm. leader. Yeah. And so, you know, holier than thou. And so they come over to my house and I'm not lying. This actually happened Aaron. So I invite these guys out, start people, start start coming and there's this guy shows up at the door knocks on and he has a a six pack of beer in his hand and he's like hey um am i one allowed to bring this into your house and two if i do will i get like shocked by god (laughs) i think those were his exact words and i was like zapping occur (laughs) i was like come on in man and, and and have fun and i allowed those guys to drink in my house. I mm-hmm. made sure that you know they stayed within the standard of not drunk. I wasn't gonna let anybody get drunk in my house. Sure. But everybody had a beer and pizza and wings, and I was saying, hey, you know, I wanted to just like Paul, I want to become like them. I wanted to be a part of their culture and their life, ultimately to build my influence in their lives, to think, man, this guy isn't crazy, he's just like me. And so those are just some unique ways that like, hey, I will drink a beer with somebody, uh, have a conversation with them to to make them feel comfortable and to earn influence in their life. So what are some other ways you contextualize? I think that's great. But what are other ways? I think the use of social media, um, you know, our our world is... You know, obsessed with social media, and so I am. You know, pretty actively. I'm not overly active on social media, but I use it as a medium to to communicate with our culture. So in other words, um, just being on it yes. is contextualizing. <laughs> exactly, I think being on social media is helpful for our culture today. But I'm also very careful how I use social media. I want to honor God in my use. So again, Mm -hmm. I'm contextualizing with my culture within the boundaries scripture allows. Another way is being a good neighbor. So I try to take care of my property. I try to mow my lawn, make my flower beds look good. So my neighbors are like, man, I'm, I'm glad that guy moved into the neighborhood. I don't want to be the guy that everybody's like, man, that joker moved in, doesn't mow his lawns, got weeds in his beds. And he's a jerk. Like he, he doesn't talk to us. The other day we went over and just met our neighbors. We, mm-hmm. we said, Hey, and it was amazing, man. We met them where they were. They showed our daughters, their horses and their barns. It was incredible. And so just being a good neighbor, I think is contextualization. That That's, how, that's kind of how I have done it. Just a couple ways. Aaron, I'm curious, how have you contextualized a little bit differently? Cause we're different people. And how, what does that look like for you?
0: I think one illustration of where I don't contextualize is I'm personally not on social media. So that's an example of where I actually feel like it's challenging to me. I I have not demonstrated ability to use social media. Well, it seems like whenever I'm on it, it kind of like takes over my existence. So I've basically just said like, although I think I'd be more effective, probably in some ways, it's not good for me personally. So Mm. I just am not on it. So, um, I, there's, I think you could argue I actually am contextualizing by not using social media only because um, I'm a better person to be around. I'm, I'm, more, I'm a more enjoyable human if I'm not on social media but a way that I contextualize is, um, I think we, we sometimes complicate it. It's really not that crazy. We're all doing this all the time with all of our friends. I think for me, I'm not like, I don't really watch college football. I only really follow, the only sports I actually follow are um, like basically just baseball, Red uh. Sox baseball. <sighs>
1: Wait, yeah. well, I'm sorry. You said baseball and I fell asleep because that's how I feel about most of the games. Okay. okay. Is baseball still a sport? Um, yeah. Uh, oh, by the way, the, the, the National League won the World Series. Okay. Man. If that was Our real third baseball. Our best team I beat would... your best team. So I'm sorry. There's a, I, there's a battle going on I don't want to talk about. Well, how did just the Re- so wait, how, you said you watch Red Sox baseball. How they doing the playoffs? Yeah, they were super. Um, not in the playoffs, but oh, okay. at least the Houston
0: Nationals lost and is that the a lost. Subject I'm feeling really them? good. Just we're moving on. Um, I have to one thing I do con- to contextualize honestly is I have the ESPN app and I'm reading articles about various sports teams and keeping up with like generally who's good. That might sound really dumb, but. I think of our Setup Repack volunteers in Henrietta. There's a few of those guys that are into sports. And on Sunday mornings, this is not contextualizing for the sake of telling them about Jesus, but it's just contextualizing so... I get, build a relationship. Like there are a couple of those guys. I want to talk about sports with them. If I don't, if I don't take some time to learn what's actually happening in the world of sports, I have nothing to talk about. So that's just me taking a little bit of time to contextualize relationally with these people. We all do this with our spouses, with our kids. You know, you get interested in the things that other people are interested. So you have some common ground. So you have some place to build Mm -hmm. a relationship. We do this naturally, intuitively as humans. The, The only thing we're doing in terms of the gospel is taking that exact same, Friendship building skill set and applying it with intentionality toward the purpose of spreading the message of the gospel.
1: It's interesting you said that because I think contextualization scares so many people, but we're actually actively doing it on a daily basis. Oh, my goodness. The problem is we don't leverage it for the sake of the gospel. Right. And I think when Christians get get really influential. It's when we use what we we do every single day, but we use it in a way that leverages the most important message in history. That's the gospel of Jesus.
0: It's crazy to me. There are brilliant marketers who are great, you know, they're great business people in the workplace, you know, ladies who like are incredible at making a difference in the marketplace. And then when they apply that to their faith, they want the, you know the church to be like, Really they, they don't want us to use progressive methods or that kind of thing, or like a guy who's an awesome boss at selling his product, but the moment we apply that to faith, he's like, Well, I wanna use you know crossing the line. Yeah, I don't wanna use, you know, loud music or whatever, or even just me personally, like, I don't wanna, you know, I'm not gonna do that because I I don't wanna, you know, I, I don't want to be too worldly or something. And it's like, wait, you think it's okay to do that to like, you know, sell the paper towels that your company produces, but not to give the most important message of the gospel? Like I don't think it's we have a lot of paper towel manufacturers <laughs> in <laughs> Rochester. I mean, it was yeah, yeah. It
1: was a good example. <laughs>
0: Thank you. Um, but yeah, we just I think we've we've created a dichotomy in our worlds yep. where like if it if if it's good enough to be used in the marketplace, it ought to be good enough for the message of the gospel. That's so true. Well said, man. Wow. Well, that was a doozy of a conversation. I'm sure there's some things in there that, you know, maybe you felt like were a little controversial or that you see differently or that you want to affirm, whatever. We'd love to hear from you. Podcast at NorthridgeRochester.com. Keep the conversation going and let's learn how to do this together. Thanks guys for listening.